0: I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. Safe, sustainable, and equitable mobility solutions. That's what this is all about. With the climate situation as it is right now, plus many other factors, it's never been more important for us to continue to improve the sustainability of the way that we're moving goods and people. At the same time, we need to improve safety for drivers and pedestrians, and we need to get these solutions in the hands of the people who need them, need them most. So that's what I cover, primarily interviews I'm talking to the people who are developing and implementing, covering these technology solutions. Also, my day job, this podcast is brought to you by FEV. FEV is your complete vehicle engineering partner for sustainable energy and mobility solutions. We're the engineering technology partner behind a lot of what you see on the road and elsewhere. Shoot me a note if you want to learn more. Check out FEV.com. Check us out on LinkedIn. Today's guest is Taken Marichly. Taken is a co-founder and CTO of Locomation that sounds familiar, so episode 27 of this Future of Mobility podcast, I had Taken's brother, Chayton Lee, who is the CEO of Locomation on the podcast. And he, not a prerequisite by any means to listen to this, I think you could get a lot out of this conversation without um, having listened to that episode 27. But if you hadn't, I do recommend you check it out because uh, Chayton shared some cool thoughts and I think some... Um, topics where we didn't get too deep in this discussion with with Taken, and then also kind of cool to see how the company has evolved over the last year and a half, and how uh, yeah, certainly the the approach and strategy is the same, but there's kind of some nuance into how they're approaching things and how things have developed um, in that time. So this discussion here with with Taken, really fun, really in, enjoyable from my my perspective. Um, we talked about his background, how he got into automated trucking through kind of the ro- robotics route, so. This includes the, the DARPA Urban Challenge that he participated in as, as a technical lead, and then also his time at NREX, the so National Robotics Engineering Center of Carnegie Mellon's Robotics Institute, and all this interesting work that Taken has done that prepared him for this role as CTO of a company, Locomation, automating commercial trucking. We also talked in detail about what makes one, one of the things that makes Locomation unique, which is their phased approach to automating trucking so they aren't going straight and their their first uh, commercial product is not going to be a fully autonomous truck They're, they're first selling an autonomous relay convoy technology and then there's a four phase approach that we talk about in detail here which they believe allows them to get to market faster to make a significant impact actually provide a solution that maybe even the long term is going to be a preferred or Techn- or technologically viable option for certain use cases. And with that, the interesting thing is that they have three customers lined up, the most recent one being Christiansen Transportation, planning to be making deliveries by the end of next year, so 2023. And a lot of this discussion was was centered around kind of how, what does that mean for Locomation now? What what does that mean as they are ramping up the team, or they have ramped up the team as they're changing the some of their approach i guess evolving their approach It sounds like really they've been thinking about this for for, for several years but um uh, how, how are they preparing for this launch and for their commercial products to be on the road so really insightful discussion i i enjoyed it a lot i hope you too too here's my conversation with taken marriagely today i'm joined by taken marriagely taken thanks for coming on
1: thank you very much for having me
0: yeah i think this is a unique uh, in econ or I'll, I'll say so i think first first pair of brothers i've had on the podcast with uh chayton and and now taking so episode 27 um about a year and a half ago or so it was the first uh first my first real introduction to locomation and there's been a lot of uh exciting stuff coming out of of the company since then so i, I guess really, really looking forward to this conversation here
1: wonderful likewise
0: so w- could you start off by uh i guess introducing your role with the company so uh, i guess Hopefully, people, if you haven't listened to episode 27, relatively quick one with Jayden, with we got introduced to Locomation, right? Autonomous relay, convoy, the automated class Eight truck space. But could you introduce kind of yourself, the role, and anything else that we, we should know about the company to start us off?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe I can uh, start off with uh, kind of a, a short overview of, of uh, Locomation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Locomation is a Pittsburgh based autonomous uh, uh, driving technology provider. Uh, we are initially focusing on uh, trucking applications of this technology. Um, and uh, the, the name itself uh, actually is a much broader uh, kind of uh, a, a name that comes from locomotion and automation. Uh, so eventually, we are looking to automate anything uh, that actually moves. Uh, but in order to keep our uh, focus sharp, uh, we decided to start with the, the most painful part of the supply chain uh, as of today, which is trucking. Uh, that made the most sense um so as for myself uh, uh i'm taking marriage to one of the co-founders and the cto of Locomission. Uh, i'm a roboticist and by training i'm a computer scientist and and an expert in intelligent robotics so my uh background in robotics uh goes back about 20 years now and my background in computer science and, and computer programming goes back uh, 30 years so um I grew up in Turkey. I was born and raised uh, in Istanbul. Uh, And uh, the first time I came to the US uh, was in 2005. I came as a master's student at the University of Texas at Austin uh, to the computer science department. And um, uh, throughout my uh, academic studies, including my master's, of course, starting with my my, uh, undergrad uh, studies, but uh, uh, into my master's as well, it has always been around uh, robotics essentially starting with computer science okay it's great to to write some code and and see the out uh, output of it on a screen but it's a whole different thing to see the actual output of it in the physical world through some some robotic actions so that's what uh, drew me into into robotics in the first place and when I was at uh, UT Austin uh, I continued my studies on different types of uh, uh, robotics applications uh, ranging from Robot uh, soccer, a, a team of robots playing soccer against each other, which is a very difficult and interesting problem. To um, uh, building intelligent wheelchairs for disabled and elderly. Uh, to uh, the actual DARPA Urban Challenge as well. So I was uh, one of the technical leads uh, in the DARPA Urban Challenge entry of the UT Austin team. Mm-hmm. And 2006-7 uh, time frame. That's when I first actually sat behind a steering wheel that turns by itself. Uh, partly because of the stuff that I actually uh, programmed. So uh, that was amazing. And that's what got me into particularly autonomous driving related um, activities as well. And um, and then uh, again, throughout my PhD, I continued working on a bunch of interesting other uh, mobile robot applications. Um, I first came to Carnegie Mellon as a um, a visiting scholar. And then uh, the professor I worked uh, with here, uh, decided to become my uh, PhD co-advisor, thank uh, thank you very much to her again. And then I finished my PhD under her uh, uh, co-supervision, and then pretty much uh, got an offer from uh, uh, the Robotics Institute as a postdoctoral researcher. So I spent a a year as a postdoc at the Robotics Institute, did a a half year postdoc at the Human Computer Interaction Institute. And then I transitioned to the National Robotics Engineering Center of the Robotics Institute as initially a, a senior robotics engineer and then uh, moved my uh, way up to uh, Special Faculty uh, uh, Commercialization Specialist track, where I was uh, overseeing a bunch of um, high-profile projects. I was part of the autonomy group there as well. and uh, uh, Our day job used to be essentially automating things, uh, uh, bringing autonomy solutions to different problems. That could be a Department of Defense-related problem, that could be uh, an industry problem, mining, agriculture, etc. Uh, So uh, we touched on a bunch of interesting uh, uh, systems and robots, uh, ground vehicles, single ones and multi uh, robot ones, convoys, uh, flying uh, things uh, with a collaboration with Skorsky, for instance, we built some uh, autonomous co-pilot systems, uh, aerial vehicle, ground vehicle coordinations, etc, etc. So uh, I had a blast and I learned a lot. And uh, uh, I stayed there until two thousand eight, late two thousand eighteen, and then uh, we started locomation, and then now uh, I'm focusing all that knowledge and energy into uh, what we do at locomation in commercializing automated driving technologies for the trucking industry.
0: Cool. Yeah, And I think there's a, there's a lot to discuss about discuss about what locomation is doing. But I got a couple back uh, questions on your background. So first of all, thank you for for sharing. I think that's a uh, you know some fascinating ro- robotics background. You've done some some really cool things throughout. Your time. I guess I want to ask you the DARPA Urban Challenge. So right, you uh, right. It's the DARP, the Grand Challenge One, Grand Challenge Two, and then the Urban Challenge really kicked off this whole push into the autonomous. And it, it seemed so. I've I know you probably guess guess looking at me. I was still in in whatever high school, junior high at, at the time. So I wasn't wasn't actively involved <laughs> by any means. But uh, the it seemed like this was kind of the first time that the robotics community, all these people who are you know, special. Uh, specialists in the computer programming and turning that into actuation and mechatronic type systems turned to the mobility, the transportation problem and tried to figure out, okay, how can we actually make a, a big impact here? What, what was that like for, for you as being a technical lead um, at, at Texas? What, what was that experience like for you?
1: Yeah, maybe actually uh, we should... Uh Cover that background a bit a bit broader because um, autonomous driving as a research problem has been around for a very very long time. Uh, we even have uh, prototypes from literally like uh, I don't know 70s and 80s uh, at Carnegie Mellon, and uh, the first uh, kind of hands off uh, across the country uh, driving was done in early 90s uh, at Carnegie Mellon as well. So that was way before uh, the DARPA challenges uh, kicked off. But but what the uh, DARPA challenges did was to focus all that um, uh, ambition and and excitement and energy around a very well-defined problem. Initially with the DARPA uh, grand challenges uh, on uh, driving Along a kind of desert uh, road, uh, no traffic rules or whatnot, but just autonomous driving from point A to point B while avoiding obstacles and such uh, along the route. And in 2007, with the DARPA Urban Challenge, a bunch of additional uh, rules uh, got injected in the form of, well, traffic, right? So now you are supposed to drive autonomously in traffic, uh, obeying traffic laws, making sure that you don't collide with any other uh, road users, pedestrians, etc., etc. So that pretty much focused everyone's attention to this, a uh, more popular uh, version of autonomous driving. But, but in the military context and such, that has been studied uh, for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as for my personal experience, of course, it, it was amazing. I mean, that that's the uh, kind of bleeding edge uh, that, that everyone uh, dreams of, and I was there. Uh, so uh, we were um, essentially putting the system together. Uh, back then, of course, uh, I'm talking about 17, uh, 15, 17 years ago now, uh, uh, when I first started doing those things. uh, These kind of open source available uh, software was not around. um, uh, The the community was just kind of forming uh, uh, early days of of, uh, that kind of internet forums and all that stuff as well. So a lot of the things that we did uh, needed to be uh, done and engineered from scratch. Uh, We did not have a good kind of bootstrap and uh, uh, of course, all those laser sensors and such super expensive, we were carrying them around with uh, like being very careful, uh, knowing that the sensors that we are carrying around is more expensive than the vehicle itself, etc. So that was all a very interesting experience. But of course, the, the first time you see that vehicle uh, kind of moving by itself and the steering wheel turning by itself, it's, it's an amazing uh, feeling. Uh, and also knowing that uh, it is happening because you actually contributed to that uh, as part of the team, Uh, your code is actually running on that device, uh, or your algorithms, your engineering uh, work is uh, kind of in action. Uh, It is a whole different uh, experience. It's super, super exciting. But again, um, as you very well put, uh, the urban challenge itself is actually the big bang of all this uh, autonomous driving craze that we are seeing uh, nowadays. Everyone started uh, uh, around the robot taxi concept uh, after the uh, uh, the DARPA Urban Challenge uh, concluded, and then some people pivoted to uh, uh, to trucking. Some people continued down the robot taxi path, but from get go when we started locomotion, we knew that the, the actual uh, first good implementation or application uh, use case would be trucking. So that's why we kept our focus always uh, kind of laser sharp.
0: And, and one of the things I've, I've thought is interesting. So looking at the the landscape of people who are really leading the way and in, in including yourself at, at Locomation here but lead, leading the way in the automated um driving space of, of whatever flavor you want to have nearly everyone has some tie back to those <laughs> to those DARPA challenges like the, the, at least almost every organization has someone who was a technical lead a program manager or whatever at, on one of those teams it's incredible
1: indeed yeah <laughs> that's why I, I like to call it the big bank like <laughs> everyone can be traced back to that that event pretty much uh most of the uh, prominent uh, AV uh, uh, developers nowadays are our peers, friends. Uh, back in the day, uh, uh, I guess competitors as well uh, in, in the uh, the uh, competition context. Um, uh, I don't know. Zooks came out of Stanford team pretty much, and uh, uh, Waymo and uh, Aurora, uh, Argo came out of endrek and uh, and uh, Carnegie Mellon teams. If you actually trace them all yeah. the way locomotion likewise so it's a very a small community from that perspective as well we all know each other very're kind of tight knitted community
0: and in my i guess my other question i had uh, when you're talking about your background so I'm, I'm certainly not a robotics expert by any means so I mean this may be a, a silly question but I, I'd, I'd appreciate your input here so what what i'd be interested in understanding is kind of what's how similar and how different are the different so you talked about a wide range of applications we're talking about there's robotics problems as an overall field I mean it's everything from these little soccer players that you mentioned to drones to on-road driving warehouses personal robot in my own mind I imagine they all have some flavor of right you need to understand the world around you there's sensors and some type of perception you need to make predictions about what that's going to look like you need to have actuation and some type of movement so there's kind of a a thread there, but I also imagine each domain has their own boundary conditions and challenges. So how similar and how different is it changing into different applications of this robotics field?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, At a sufficiently high level, um, any kind of mobile robot uh, application can be pretty much uh, fit into a certain template. At the end of the day, all mobile robots need to see or perceive, uh, plan and act. So the sense, plan, act uh, kind of paradigm applies to to all of them. Uh, You you very well summarized that. But uh, with that, what they do with those sense plan act uh, kind of cycle depends on the application. Um, But again, uh, one important part uh, about building robotic systems is that it is actually a systems work. So uh, as a a researcher, for instance, uh, uh, with a very particular area of expertise, you can contribute uh, perhaps within your own lane, but at the end of the day, it actually takes a systems engineering uh, kind of approach to build a robotic system because it is a long uh, chain and kind of a large set of very, very small subsystems and components that all have to work uh, coherently uh, to make the robotic system work as intended. Uh, and uh, you cannot just uh, say, okay, I did my part and I don't really care uh, what the other parts uh, are doing because if you have a weak link that and that link uh, breaks, the entire system will break. Um, again, my personal uh, experience and, and uh, to a certain extent, I guess blessing has been uh, that I've been part of very small teams uh, in my past, in my academic ca- career and, and to a certain extent, uh, the professional career as well. Um, within the context of uh, building robotic systems. So that's why I um, had a chance to dive into each of those subsystems and components mm-hmm. to make the overall system work at the end, end of the day. So uh, that gave me a great deal of uh, systems engineering uh, uh, kind of experience and also a breadth of knowledge uh, around all those uh, sense plan act components and their kind of uh, uh, subfields, etc. et cetera. So, um, Perhaps uh, partly that's what prepared me uh, for the CTO role uh, at locomation So I can actually easily draw analogies and, and bits of knowledge from seemingly unrelated uh, kind of applications and problems uh, and pieces of algorithms and apply it to uh, something else that, that would actually solve the problem. It is a, a different kind of paradigm and way of thinking as well, uh, because most uh, academics uh, tend to Can hold very tight onto their babies their academic brainchilds Uh, okay like this is the method that that, that I invented so this is my sledgehammer let me see if I can find any nails that I can kind of uh, uh, hit with this sledgehammer whereas uh, when you are building a product or a solution you have to be open and you have to think uh, through uh, systems engineering uh, lenses much broader uh, than that instead of trying to fit your solution to a problem, you need to uh, think about what the problem actually requires, what kind of solution and be able to devise that solution by bringing different parts together.
0: I mean, I've heard the analogy of a a T-shaped individual, right? If you're looking at the breadth and the depth of expertise where you want someone who certainly has a a wide breadth of expertise, but also is an expert on at least one thing. And it sounds like for you, you've been able to be an expert on a, on a few different things, a few different components, systems or whatever with this, which then, yeah, I imagine that's got to be invaluable when you're trying to lead a team and you're, you're no longer involved right in the development of a certain system d- directly, but you have to be able to provide the leadership, the coaching for that team, and then also the technology and make sure it passes the kind of the laugh test and all that type of stuff. Right. Am I thinking about that right? Or what else do you, in your mind, do you think are kind of the biggest qualities that are required for success in your role?
1: Absolutely. No, I, I think you, uh, uh, you uh, hit it right on the head. Uh, so um, I guess, again, like being able to look at the problem from different levels of resolution and different heights, different levels of abstraction also is a big uh, plus, right? So uh, when uh, uh, developers or, or researchers are kind of focusing on a particular aspect of the problem, they may Kind of isolate themselves from the the rest of the context and as a result they 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 may kind of uh reduce their search space if you will for the for the solution but if you are able to actually look at the problem from a different angle much higher altitude and all that stuff and be able to draw analogies across uh different fields then you may be able to help those developers or researchers saying hey uh, have you actually thought of using this from this other domain because I can see the the resemblance between the two uh, sets of problems maybe we can actually transform this solution into this and and apply that and uh, that usually is an aha moment right so um, I think that is one of the things I, I believe I bring to the team
0: oh yeah and no, I could I could talk on this on this uh, topic for a long time but I also maybe we will circle back on, on the back end but I, I, want, I want to talk more uh, you know specifically about the, the cool things Locomation is doing so um, maybe the the first thing, so what what's what's unique about the the approach from locomation there's very various companies pre- approaching different aspects of the automating commercial logistics commercial truck trucking what um what what do you think is the the value that locomation is providing in this space and how how are you guys approaching this problem?
1: Yeah uh, that's another great question. Um, we are actually approaching this problem holistically from a solution perspective, we are not just focusing our attention on building just the autonomous driving component of it, but the entire ecosystem and the integration uh, channels as well. What I mean by that is you can think of uh, our solution as mainly like two large components. We have the uh, the on-the-ground autonomous vehicle uh, solution and we also have the back-end uh, solution that we call the uh, digital transportation system, within which we have our autonomous relay network uh, analysis and freight optimization frameworks as well. So that back end uh, prepares the uh, the existing supply chain for that kind of autonomous vehicle application. Through that data crunch and, and optimization, uh, we essentially slightly change the existing workflows of, of our customers to, uh, even uh, before deploying the uh, the autonomous vehicles, Optimize their workflows for maximum asset utilization, uh, minimizing idling times, minimizing uh, the associated uh, inefficiencies and the costs uh, uh, on the driver side, on the fuel side, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And on top of that, then we place our autonomous vehicle solution. It is a, a I don't know 10x multiplier from the, uh, there as well. So essentially, we are approaching this as, as I said, as a as a turnkey uh, solution, not just that we are technologists. We will go to our corners and build the uh, technology part of it, and not really worry about how it integrates with the with the market. We actually work with our customers to make sure it integrates with the market. It's not just uh, market and technology integration, but also uh, there are of course regulatory aspects of it mm-hmm. as well. So. Uh, That's why within the leadership team and and the overall organization at Locomation, uh, we are not just a bunch of technologists and and roboticists and computer scientists. We have uh, veterans coming from uh, the trucking industry itself uh, and helping us commercializing this technology, integrating it with the existing um, uh, customer landscape and uh, optimizing their uh, supply chain and, and workflows. We have Um, uh, seasoned uh, folks from the the regulatory and uh, legislation side of things, uh, they are preparing that kind of landscape for for this technology because we need to make sure that regulations are permissive and and available by the time the technology is ready. Uh, We have folks coming from the overall product development, automotive product development and safety uh, kind of backgrounds uh, (laughs) that also make sure that we are actually building this product safely uh, in a reliable and scalable fashion as well. Uh, so it is a, a teamwork, true teamwork, uh, that we are approaching this problem. Maybe zooming in on the autonomous vehicle part of it, having uh, accumulated that kind of experience in different autonomy systems over decades, uh, we believe we understand how difficult this problem is. Uh, so it is great to be ambitious, but at the end of the day, uh, it is also important to be realistic. And uh, when we first uh, started uh, locomotion. We were very deliberate from day zero uh, that we would actually approach this problem uh, in a phased kind of fashion. Uh, again, we acknowledge the strengths and weaknesses of of machines. Uh, machines are really good at uh, number crunching and and very precise control and all that stuff, but they are not good at high-level understanding of the world, cognitive uh, uh, assessment, and and common sense reasoning and all that stuff. That's where humans shine. So and that's why with with said, well, until the technology is ready to solve all these hard problems by itself, why don't we actually combine the strengths of those two parties, bring humans and robots together, so they can complement each other. Humans um, acting as the cognitive filter uh, in the system, and guiding the, the robot, and robot acting as a robot, following that uh, guide, and whatever uh, track that guide leaves, in a robotic precision. Uh, so. Uh, that's how uh, the human-guided autonomy concept was born. And within the human-guided autonomy concept, we are looking at two different product flavors. The first one is uh, autonomous relay convoy. It's a 2 truck uh, two-driver uh, system. The trucks are electronically tethered, but also they are uh, both uh, uh, autonomy-capable uh, trucks. The follower truck uh, follows the leader through its own sensing and through that vehicle-to-vehicle communication link. And um, the driver in that follower truck is able to actually sleep as their cargo keeps moving uh, through that human guidance. And the second uh, flavor um, of human-guided atomic products is what we call the drone follower. It's a two-truck, a uh, single-driver uh, application uh, where the second uh, truck is completely unmanned, uh, but still the same kind of convoy concept designed for shorter-haul uh, operations. Uh, so it does not uh, uh, kind of have the driver swapping uh, capability midway. Uh, but otherwise, pretty much the same concept. And because we are limiting the capabilities and responsibilities of the uh, the follower autonomous vehicle in these uh, human guided de- uh, deployments, uh, the technology uh, box that we can draw around it is actually definable by today's available technologies and state-of-the-art engineering. So we don't really need to go and do some scientific breakthrough and, and kind of bet our uh, company on those kind of non-existing uh, technologies or solutions. And with that kind of early completion and safety validation around the very well-defined boundary, we will be able to uh, deploy these systems much earlier than anyone else. And as a result, we will have Massive market penetration uh, and have access to a lot of data. Uh, each of our uh, convoys uh, and each of our trucks within within those convoys will be collecting about thousand miles uh, worth of data every day. So uh, within uh, ten days, we will have reached ten million miles. Within less than a month, we will have reached twenty million miles, which is uh, the the amount some of our peers and competitors collected over more than a decade. So. Uh, that will enable, that kind of data and exposure to the real-world conditions will enable and inform us in our uh, development and deployment activities for solo driverless operations in our Phases 3 and 4, namely, hub-to-hub solo uh, driverless and dock-to-dock solo driverless operations.
0: So, yeah, if I can just make sure I understand this. So, so Phase 1 right, is this two-driver, two-truck, and if... That this is more or less what we focused on in the first episode. So, again, back to episode 27, talk listen, you could chayton, I think, talked in detail about the benefits, right? And the fact that you can drive for 20 plus hours in a day with these two vehicles, as opposed to if you have a single driver, you can only drive for 11 hours in a given day. And all of the um, improvements from efficiency, fuel economy, um, time, freight, freight amount, all all these types of things, tons of benefit there. What we didn't get into and where I'm I'm hoping to talk, talk in more detail is, I guess, also the production like the, i mean we're a year and a half later so the commercialization now is in a different place and we have you know exciting uh contract announcement with uh, christensen is a third third big customer here um and then also these these next phases so but just real quick so that's phase one phase two you said is so that same thing but you remove the back driver so it's two trucks driving so the back truck completely autonomous follower and then the next phases you said were uh, completely or short or oh yeah depot to depot type uh middle mile type transportation and then door to door right right
1: so uh again um another important thing to highlight here is that this phased approach does not necessarily mean it's like a, a rocket booster kind of approach where we drop one phase when we switch to the other phase this is actually a product portfolio because we envision even when we solve uh, level four dock-to-dock operation, uh, we will still be deploying in certain routes our um, uh, autonomous relay convoy and drone follower uh, convoy solutions. And it's all about um, uh, creating additional um, capacity uh, for our customers and uh, the shippers and, and carriers, etc. So it's all about improving asset utilization through autonomy and through that kind of back-end playing as well. Uh, so. How we will achieve that 20 plus hours of uptime uh, is through, again, uh, proper planning and and re-engineering of the entire supply chain through those two components, the digital transportation system component and uh, the autonomous vehicle component. Um, Because most of the, even though the drivers have 14 hours a day in theory, because of all the inefficiencies, they can utilize only seven or eight hours of that driving and generating Uh, profits and revenue, right? So in our case, through that kind of back-end optimization and with the introduction of uh, autonomous driving as well, we will be able to eliminate all those kind of lost hours and maximize uh, the the actual useful driving time. And uh, in the case of the autonomous relay convoy, that driving time will keep kind of accumulating as the driver is actually sleeping in the second vehicle. So it's even further... Um, I- improvement of of asset utilization of the existing assets. We don't really need to inject additional assets to the equation uh, either. Of course, there's room for that, but even starting with the existing asset pool, we can just uh, utilize them a lot better and generate a lot of value for our customers.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. And the the uh, I'll, I'll link to this in the in the show notes. But the announcement with Christensen uh, Transportation. So one one of the things, or the one thing that stood out to me the the most significantly. So you. See, it says in here, the expectation this could quadruple bottom line profit, which, yeah, we're not talking about, EK, there's a bunch of incremental improvements, right? As, as you're, you're talking about here, but then that add add up for this force multiplier, which uh, at least uh, for, from what's being said up front has the potential to have, is a game changer potentially on the business model side.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And again, uh, there's a lot of interesting kind of, Hidden details as well, right? So of course, when we talk about autonomy, n- the natural things uh, that come to mind are about driver-related costs. Of course, in the trucking uh, industry, driver-related costs are the largest cost items. And through autonomy, we can actually address that problem. In our convoy configuration, there is a great deal of uh, fuel savings as well because of the reduced air drag and turbulence around both vehicles of course uh, through that backend optimization reducing idle time and all that stuff there is additional fuel savings there as well recently uh, a third party uh, actually assessed uh, our um, life cycle uh, did a life cycle analysis and um, they published um, uh, the results. And uh, we are looking at a 22% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, which is huge. Uh, That kind of brings us to the top of the chart in terms of our uh, environment friendliness and sustainability uh, scores. So there is that kind of benefit. Uh, Autonomy uh, driving the vehicles much safer uh, and much more gentle uh, way also impacts your wear and tear maintenance related costs. It also impacts your um, insurance-related costs and premiums and all that stuff. Uh, so there's all those hidden uh, costs that will be either reduced or eliminated through the introduction of uh, uh, autonomy.
0: And I guess I want to take a, a quick, quick break to point out two things. That so I was, I've been doing this podcast now for for two years, and part of this was trying me trying to figure out okay, learn more about the industry, kind of form my own opinions about what's going on and what matters and that type of stuff, and. Two of the things that have really stood out to me that I think you've already touched on to one, the importance of taking a holistic view. So technology development, it, it's, it's great, right? We're developing automated, connected, electrified vehicles. This, this technology needs to be developed, but unless there is buy-in from customers, public perception, regulators, this whole, the actual, the application of this technology is such a huge piece of actually making a difference. Otherwise, it's just a cool research project that a university has been doing, like you said, in the 90s, it t- sounds like Carnegie Mellon was doing a, a drive across the country, which you, you need all of this to actually be able to make the difference. And then the, the other thing that's stood out, so the podcast is built around safe, sustainable, effective, accessible mobility. And in my own mind, I've put automated driving into the safety program and then the effective and, and kind of accessible, but I, I didn't really, that sustainable piece, I didn't really think of, of too much. And I, I think there's still a claim that Widespread automation. If we're talking about passenger car and ride sharing. I mean there is this. I mean, just talked with, with Larry Burns on the podcast a couple episodes, and he 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 said he spelled out, yeah, there is this this end goal where there's a we can change the way everyone the whole transportation mobility ecosystem works, and that's that's an awesome thing in the future. But it, there's also going to be kind of a short term potential that automation is going to make it worse in the short term because of all the congestion and stuff on in urban areas and for passenger cars. With that being said, the trucking application here that you guys are talking about this is today sustainable improvement for these automated vehicles can come in and that you mentioned on the LCA side, the greenhouse gas emissions like there's a tremendous benefit to be grasped and I guess I say today, but short short term right you're not talking about a decade from now you're talking a, a year a couple of years for for deployment right. so yeah, definitely definitely exciting work that you guys are doing indeed, indeed so the next uh Next question I wanted to ask you. So the transition from, and I hopefully don't offend you with the the, the, the term here, but I, I've thought of a lot of these these companies as kind of research companies for, for some time, right? And then now you're transitioning to being a true product company. You're selling, you have to manufacture safe. So you have to have you know functional safety, cybersecurity. You need a, all of these kind of structured approaches to having or the manufacturing process needs to be super tight. Like there's, there's all these things that now need to be considered, which, yeah, when you're driving one prototype, a handful of prototypes, you don't need as much. Can, can you speak, how how have you been thinking about this transition to becoming a true product organization?
1: Well, uh, Locomation actually has been a very product and uh, uh, focused uh, uh, company from, again, day zero. So that's why we also uh, started with, the uh, tracking application instead of starting with robot taxes and then pivoting to uh, tracking because we uh, did our due diligence, we did our uh, uh, market analysis, identified pain points. Again, it's not just like I have a solution, let me go and solve the problem that I would like to solve. Uh, it is about uh, what kind of problem exists in the market and what we can do about that. So we did it uh, pretty much like backwards uh, and uh, identified the problem in the form of driver shortages, increasing driver shortages, increasing asset underutilization, increasing um, uh, demand. Uh, We all have Amazon accounts. We are clicking on uh, some virtual buttons and expecting things to pop up on our uh, doorstep. Uh, But those things actually, 70% of those things uh, uh, spend some time in the back of a truck. So um, we did all that analysis to um, identify the best entry point uh, that will actually address today's uh, pain points uh, and be a real painkiller instead of being just a vitamin, like a convenience. Right. So from that perspective, locomotion has been a very product-oriented and solution-oriented uh, company from get-go. Us, the co-founders and uh, some of the team members coming from academic backgrounds, Uh, Yes, so there's that kind of adaptation uh, process. But luckily, again, at least for the co-founders and some of our senior engineers as well, our time spent at the National Robotics Engineering Center essentially building advanced prototypes to be commercialized, like on their way to commercialization, uh, prepared us for this kind of way of thinking as well. So uh, many of our past work actually ended up on catalogs. Uh, One uh, example I can give is um, for instance, caterpillars, uh, uh, giant holdage trucks. Uh, so they, they are products that you can actually purchase from a catalog for the past 10 or so years. They've like uh, transported billions of tons of earth autonomously. And Caterpillar and uh, Enric actually collaborated on that project. So we played a role in the commercialization of that technology. Same goes for John Deere in certain agricultural applications, automated tractors, automated harvesters. Uh, uh, kind of grain quality uh, inspection elements, etc. etc. And some of those are already uh, products that you can actually purchase from a catalog. And again, um, at, at the uh, National Robotics Engineering Center, that was our day job taking a concept from much lower technology readiness levels, bringing it up in the TRL scale uh, to an advanced prototype and like pre. Pre-production uh, kind of stage almost, and then handing it over to the sponsor for further commercialization activities. So now at locomotion, we have to take the last couple of steps ourselves as well. But I think uh, we are very well prepared for that kind that kind of uh, of operation. And again, we are all supported by uh, industry veterans coming from uh, automotive industry, trucking industry, who know how to build products end to end and uh, how to sell them, how to inject them into the market. In a safe and, and scalable way.
0: What what's the tough part of this of this transition? So you get to a certain point now. You're, now you're taking it the last few levels. I'm, I'm sure there's, yeah, there's several several challenges. But what what it, what in your mind? What people not realize is kind of what where the, the meat of the ch- this challenge is uh, over taking these last couple of steps.
1: Yeah. So it actually all boils down to safety and reliability. Right. So um, again. Building a duct tape prototype and, and demonstrating it one time is something uh, that is actually a relatively easy thing, thing to do. That is one of the things that um, create that, that misconception of well, automated driving is actually an easy task, because especially with the democratization of open source software and available libraries and simulators and whatnot, uh, you can put together a, a kind of a self-driving vehicle prototype in your garage in a couple of weeks. But that does not mean that you can actually deploy it as a reliable and safe and scalable product. So it's all about that uh, additional nines after the dot in the 99% reliability yep. scale. Uh, it's that long tail that you have to deal with all the uh, wrenches that the real world can throw at you uh, in the form of edge cases and surprises and whatnot that your system should be prepared for. Uh, so. It's pretty much that kind of maturity uh, difference between what you would expect from a, a prototype and what you would expect from a, a product that is supposed to be on the roads for like 20 hours a day, uh, 365 uh, days a year. So.
0: And how how does this work? Uh, in? I'm going to want to circle back to, to safety, but thinking of kind of in, in, in the real world. So let's first talk the 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 relay con- automated relay convoy so you get a driver in, in both vehicles I don't know say terrible weather comes up or there's some some condition that comes up that you realize maybe maybe the system's not going to be able to be trusted in this is is this something that you're building into the approach of proactively you're going to be able to there's a certain boundary conditions that you're going to check through in the system and try to figure out hey can we trust this for automated driving or how how are you going to approach that
1: yeah that's a great question so um Again, when we are defining the system uh, within the human-guided autonomy concept, humans are part of the system, so it's not just uh, automated uh, trucks, but humans in those trucks are also uh, within the system boundary. And as a result, they play a role in determining whether the system at the moment is within its uh, allowed operational design domain or not. So certain elements uh, of that ODD check can be automated, uh, but for certain elements that require much higher, again, like cognitive capabilities and, and common sense reasoning kind of uh, uh, abilities, uh, we'll be uh, utilizing the human in the lead driver, uh, first of all. And if needed, uh, once the vehicles are brought to a minimal uh, risk condition by pulling over or whatnot, waking up the second driver as well and asking them to uh, essentially continue the rest of the, uh, uh, the trip manually. or. Uh, take some other measures depending on the situation. So again, it is it is going to be another human-robot uh, kind of collaboration uh, effort when it comes to uh, determining whether we are in the right kind of ODD or not.
0: And how, how different then is... The, so say, maybe let's take, take a step back and talk, talk about safety case, right? So I know you guys have worked with the third party, develop a safety case for for locomation. Can you speak to... can what, what, is, what does this actually mean kind of in layman's term, right, for... Uh, uh, how you're defining safety for the vehicle. And then what, is, is there anything noteworthy about the way that you guys are approaching this, this task of proving that you have a safe system?
1: Yeah, so again, at the top of that, that uh, tree uh, of the safety case that you break down into further kind of subcomponents uh, is now well, the ARC system, the autonomous relay convoy system should be or shall be acceptably safe, uh, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then you'd break it down into uh, different components. What does it mean to be acceptably safe? And uh, essentially a safety case is an evidence-based, uh, evidence-backed argument. So you make that claim uh, and you have to back it with your evidence. And that evidence uh, will be in the form of documentation, rig- rigor, uh, the engine- proper systems engineering and safety engineering processes that you need to follow. And some uh, additional um, statistical data that you show that you've, after following all those um, uh, processes uh, and engineering things right then uh, you test it and, and kind of uh, accumulate enough confidence in that uh, from a statistics perspective as well and then you can say okay uh, I actually engineered it right build it right I'm operating it right I'm maintaining it right and I'm improving it right so uh, those are kind of the uh, pillars of our uh, of our safety case of course at, at the very bottom of it the, the foundation of it is our safety culture so that's one thing that we are building here at locomotion as well. So uh, as our um, uh, chief product and safety officer, Steve Kenner, would say, um, if we ask like who is responsible for safety at Locomation, if everybody is not raising their hands, then we are doing something wrong. So there is really not a single person responsible for it. We are all responsible for it. And that's how it all starts. And again, on top of that, you build all the other pillars and eventually arrive at uh, the, the system is accepted, to safe conclusion
0: yeah and if if i can paraphrase let me know if i if i think of this wrong or if you would make any change but just when i I try to think about this myself it's you're pretty much trying to define okay what are all the things that could go wrong how can we address all of these so what are the things that we need to be doing that collectively are um, exhaustive and they address every aspect of safety and then you need some proof that you're doing all those types of things and, and essentially, that that comes together to say, yes, here's this this thing. Here's this uh, report or whatever. This this live report that yes, this is a safe system.
1: Indeed, yeah, you summarize it very well. So those processes that I defined um, also include analyses like uh, hazard analysis, for instance, HA mm-hmm. uh, analysis, right? So there's fault tree analysis for certain components or architectures or sub-architectures. You actually break it down into further. Uh, kind of components and and all that stuff and see where things could go wrong. And you essentially uh, uh, design some uh, safety tests around that by injecting faults to those locations and see how your system is uh, handling that. You build in uh, redundancy elements to your system, redundancy in sensing, redundancy in computing, redundancy in power, redundancy in actuation as well. Right now, for instance, even our prototype vehicles have uh, dual redundant steering actuators. And we are working on building uh, dual redundant um, brake actuators. So, uh, if one of them fails, the other one takes over and is, is able to bring the vehicle uh, to a safe condition. So, this is all um, thing, uh, set of things that you have to actually engineer from the very beginning with the right kind of architecture, with the right kind of analysis breakdown, and. Uh, all the tools that uh, functional uh, safety and kind of safety of the intended functionality uh, engineers use uh, throughout the process. And again, as you very well said, at the end of that process, you collect all those uh, artifacts and documentation and data uh, backing your work, uh, all the results of those um, fault injection tests, durability tests, and and whatnot, and that backs your claims.
0: Yeah, and no, I mean, at the at the high level, safety sounds kind of i mean it's it's critically important i don't think anyone's gonna ask but it, it sounds sounds kind of boring but as i've I, over the last year or so i've I've dug more into this i mean it really is an interesting field and i think i mean it makes me think my, my first job at boeing was in process engineering where my job was here's a here's an interior component that i need to be very confident this is going to be really released without any quality effects quality defects and obviously it wasn't the same level of rigor and complexity as what we're talking about here but this similar mindset and process was used there in the manufacturing world. And I, I really enjoyed kind of the, the task of let's break this down. Let's us understand, conceptualize it, and then let's actually execute on, on each of these pieces.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, you're absolutely right. Safety is extremely important. Again, maybe going back to that uh, prototype versus product kind of analogy, uh, writing safety on a website is easy. Actually implementing safety is not as easy, uh, but it is needed.
0: Okay, can you speak to the uh, the... The timeline. So you have a couple, uh, some customers lined up. What does this look like for the release, and um, when when we're going to see level one and level two type? Well, I guess maybe on a, the the first phase, right? The, the two vehicles, two drivers. Second phase, the two two vehicles, one driver. When uh, when are we, we going to see these on the road?
1: Yeah. So uh, our first uh, focus is on uh, releasing the arc, the first phase uh, uh, product uh, uh, units. Uh, by the end of 2023, actually. So uh, the first uh, deployments will be made to our first customer, Wilson Logistics, and, and then our uh, second and third customers, uh, PGT Trucking and uh, Christensen, uh, are going to follow. Uh, so we already have a certain uh, amount of allocation in terms of like batch size and such, and the deployment uh, deployments themselves um, are going to uh, kind of span across a few years because we'll be deploying in batches. Learning from the first patches, improving the system, etc. So there's going to be some some ramp up there as well. Uh, but yeah, the first units uh, we aim to uh, ship out of the door uh, towards the end of uh, the, the uh, next year, so uh, Q four of uh, twenty three.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's awesome, cool, cool to cool to picture this stuff uh, c- coming on the road sooner sooner than, sooner than later. I, I want to circle back to. Uh another thing that you had said earlier. So talking about, right, the technology you're developing, but it's also this backend solution and insight that the locomation is providing, which is a key role in, in this optimization. What? So in my own mind, I think of these logistics companies who have been doing this for a while. And I, I had assumed hey, they're, they're, they got to be pretty close to, to optimal and because that's, that's so core to their business and, and profitability and having routes planned perfectly and having things, having things run correctly. Um, uh, can can you speak to it all? What are what's one or what what what's some of the things that locomation is able to provide in this space? And like, what 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 are the what are the tweaks that actually kind of move the needle there and can help improve the efficiency and the effectiveness of, of these fleets?
1: Yeah. So uh, one of the things uh, we look uh, at is again our uh, VP of uh, business development uh, Tom Crosby can speak uh, volumes uh, uh, yeah. on, on that on that front. Uh, but uh, what we essentially uh, look at is how we can also um, kind of properly synchronize the activity uh, between uh, local, uh, regional, and kind of middle mile uh, movements. Uh, so that's that's one of the things that uh, that we look at to further uh, optimize things. Another thing is again. Um, people may be optimizing certain parts of their workflow for single truck operations, but the convoy operation is something totally different that requires a new kind of angle uh, of uh, perspective. Uh, And with that comes uh, synchronizing and timing two loads, at least two loads to be available at Mm -hmm. the origin and expected at the destination. So we can pair them up uh, in the form of a convoy and, and ship them again with that you can propagate um, that those constraints uh, to the local and regional activities as well. So everything has to be pretty much like clockwork. Um, and the way we are also looking at how we further break a route into kind of relay segments and such is something relatively new. I mean, relay is not a a, a terminology that we invented. Uh, It has already been part of the industry, kind of drop and hook hubs and and yards and whatnot. Um, But with our kind of unique way of operation, we can put a little bit of a spin on on that as well, uh, and even further uh, synchronize activities around around those kind of uh, hub locations. So all those like little, little tweaks here and there uh, end up uh, becoming a huge kind of uh, snowball and and uh, providing huge benefits to the uh, to the industry because as you know traditionally trucking industry is operating with razor thin margins yeah. uh, and anything that you can shave off from here and there uh, actually adds up.
0: I imagine this isn't isn't your priority given the the focus of the company but these these relay op- operations and the way that you're optimizing this I, I also think could play a big role in um sustainable sustainability from a propulsion system perspective. So the utilization of battery electric and or hydrogen or hybrid or what, whatever type of more sustainable um, alternative fuel, I think yeah, ha- having this type of, a, of approach where you have these shorter, more defined routes and you have trucks coming together in certain um, hubs and such at certain times could be a big enabler there.
1: hundred percent. And uh, again, that's one, one of the things that we've been considering uh, again, yeah. as part of um, the the local activity and regional activity kind of uh, uh, thinking because those are relatively shorter route uh, activities that can be done with the current uh, battery electric uh, uh, vehicle capacities or the projected I should say that there are no deployed battery electric or or fuel cell uh, trucks yet but when deployed uh, or made available uh, they will be limited to I don't know 250-300 miles tops which kind of falls nicely into the Uh, local and regional activity uh, uh, ranges. So uh, it only makes sense to actually inject them into that part of the equation and leave the uh, longer um, middle mile segments to uh, conventional diesel uh, vehicles for now until a breakthrough is uh, made on the, again, better electric or fuel cell technologies to cover that part as well. But when that time comes, uh, locomotion technologies will, uh, will be ready for that kind of integration.
0: Yeah, awesome. And so taking this, this has been a lot, a lot of fun. I got one, one last, uh, one last question for you. And then maybe we, we can wrap up. So I ask every guest, uh, uh, what favorite book or books of yours, and it doesn't need to be professional, it could be professional focus could be personal, If for, for reference. So Chayton said, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So if you, if you want to copy him, go ahead, if you want to, wait. wait, wait, wait yeah what well, well, well for yourself? Just, well, bumble, you
1: stole that He you stole that from you. no, 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 <laughs> just kidding. Uh, yeah, it is it is very hard to pronounce a single name because so many different books actually shape <laughs> my uh, my thinking. But one thing I can think of uh, off the top of my head is uh, the last lecture uh, by the late uh-huh. uh, Professor Randy Posch. Uh, there are some very, really, very really interesting and practical life lessons that you can learn from that that book. One of the uh, examples that I can give that actually helped me a lot uh, in the past couple of uh, years as well, uh, sometimes all you need to do is ask, right? So if people actually spend a lot of time thinking like, oh, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Is this person going to say X, Y, Z if I ask this? Now, well, go and ask. In the worst case, they will say no, but there's a good chance that they will say yes, and th- that will open up a lot of uh, interesting opportunities for you. So uh that book is full of those kind of nuggets uh so i highly recommend it
0: Yeah, and i also think you can i think it's still on, on youtube or something if you want to watch that that lecture so if you're listening to this and you don't want to take the time to go buy a book or whatever like, yeah, certainly buy the book but if not then you can you can pull up youtube and, and watch that too i yeah I, I haven't seen that in a few years but definitely was a, a big one for me too wonderful Cool. So uh, maybe to, to wrap up, so like I said, really appreciate it. Cool, cool stuff you guys are working on. Um, I think uh, I, I've certainly learned some things here. Hopefully the listeners have have as well, maybe open-ended. And is there anything we missed that you were hoping to talk about? Or if not, just anything that you're, uh, you're hoping that someone listening to this comes away from the conversation thinking about?
1: Well, I will say, uh, again, Locomation um, is going to be the first one uh, to deploy this technology commercially at scale. Uh, So keep an eye out for the updates from us and also uh, make sure to visit our website at uh, locomotion.ai and uh, subscribe to our uh, other uh, social media channels and and LinkedIn uh, uh, pages as well. So we constantly post our updates on that front. So if you want to keep a pulse on us, uh, just follow us on social media.
0: Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks again. Appreciate the time.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Taken Marichli. So I think uh, I don't know a lot of things that I, I left this conversation thinking about, but maybe two two main themes. So the first one is I could have asked questions kind of for for a long time about what uh, Taken has learned and how he's evolved and what what he thinks it takes to be a technical leader at a company like this in the in the CTO role. So we talked about his diverse background, his, his deep background and the various components that come together that that make uh, automated trucking a reality and i think that was a super interesting concept from from my idea and something that i i think about a good amount in the background as i'm thinking about my own career is kind of what what are those building blocks that ultimately now when when he when someone is, is put in a position a leadership position that enables them to thrive and really do their job really well so I enjoyed the thoughts you shared. Like I said, could, I'm sure could have uh, asked and talked with him for a long time on that topic and, and gotten a lot, a lot out of it. The other thing is, um, yeah. So talking to so this, this shift, and I touched on this on the in, in the intro, but this shift now from really getting it, it ha- having products on the road that are driving and you know proof of concept they've had for a while, and they've been evolving into a. A more established product um, organization a, a company really selling a commercial product and that sounds may sound relatively simple or a kind of incremental change but it's it's quite quite a difference as we're talking about safety and reliability and you know we talked about their safety case and the way that they're approaching proving that their their system is safe and then that doesn't the manufacturing aspect and, and all of that i think is uh that, that's where a lot of the challenge is in in this space and i think they're yeah, they seem to be doing some. seem to have the right approach to it, and I, 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 uh, I wish them the best. It's it's definitely a interesting space to watch and an, an exciting space in the automated trucking uh, industry over the next few years here. So, thanks for listening. More to come next week. The Future Mobility Podcast is brought to you by FEV. For more than forty years, FEV has been a global leader in the development of mobility solutions for the transportation industry. With a team of experts passionate about innovation through the design, development, integration, and validation of turnkey vehicle and propulsion system technologies, FEV is your partner for the development of future mobility solutions. I'm your host, Brandon Bartnick. If you want to learn more or get in contact share feedback or questions, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn at Brandon Bartnick. Thanks for listening.